Today's podcast is presented by Podgo. Podgo is the easiest way for you to monetize your podcast, providing podcasters with a flat rate for ad space so you always know how much you get when you include an ad from Podgo. I recently joined as a member, and you can too. Apply today to become a member and immediately be connected with advertisers that fit your audience. That's podgo.co at p-o-d-g-o dot c-o. When you become a member, enter Suburban Folk in the podcast that you heard about them. Today's episode is also presented by Sweat Connected. Sweat Connected is a transformative way to work out. Sweat Connected has a mission to help you feel your best. Each expert instructor brings their signature method directly to you wherever you are in the world via Zoom. When you take a Sweat Connected class, you are able to interact with your instructor and the other participants in the class just like you would in a live studio experience. Whether you have been a group fitness participant for years or are newer, you will feel at home with Sweat Connected. Sweat Connected is exclusively offering our listeners 50% off their first class by going to sweatconnected.com and using the code POD, that's POD, P-O-D, at sweatconnected.com for 50% off your first class. Sweat Connected, for all levels, all ages, all sizes, and all humans. We're also brought to you by Purple Carrot. Purple Carrot is the plant-based subscription meal kit that makes it easy to cook irresistible meals to fuel your body. Each week, choose from an expansive and delicious menu of dinners, lunches, breakfasts, and snacks. Every box is an opportunity to learn and experience something new with easy recipes and fresh pre-proportioned ingredients. No shopping, no food waste. Just globally inspired, restaurant-quality, plant-based meals. Get $30 off your first box by going to purplecarrot.com and entering the code PODGO30 at checkout today. That's PODGO30 and $30 off your first Purple Carrot box. Purple Carrot, the easiest way to eat more plants. And finally, I want to tell you about Yubico. Yubico sets new world standards for simple, secure login, preventing unauthorized access to computers, servers, and internet accounts. The YubiKey from Yubico is a physical security key using two-factor authentication to protect your accounts. As more of us continue to work from home, it is more important than ever to protect your secure information. So what can you do to protect your accounts? Yubico is offering our listeners $10 off your next purchase of $100 or more using the code POD at yubico.com. That's code POD at yubico.com. Say hello to YubiKey and goodbye to account takeovers. Health, parenting, finance, travel, and home improvement. This is the Suburban Folk Podcast. Welcome to the Suburban Folk Podcast. I'm Greg Rotersheimer, your host. Today, we're going to focus on two topics that come up in our other episodes, but we've not really focused on them directly. So when I came across today's guest, it seems like a very good fit based on her background and what she's ultimately doing now. Those topics are work-life balance, and we hit that very regularly when we talk about finances and career path, and then overall parenting. And what does that work-life balance conversation look like, especially once kids are in the picture? My guest is Sunny Abada. Sunny, how are you? Hey, Greg. Thanks for having me. I'm good. Usually, I will start the episode by going through the bio and having you kick us off with your background, which we will do, but I thought it would be fun to give folks how I ran across you, which I was a guest on Dr. D's social network, uh, Darian Parker, Big thumbs up. Uh, uh, He and I are in contact fairly regularly. So when I was a guest on his show, my episode came out. And on the same day, another episode comes out. And I see this name, Sonny Abada. And I, before I even listen to it, I go, I know that name. Why do I know that name? 
So I start to listen to the episode and you say, you're a CMU grad. And for those that don't know, that's Carnegie Mellon University. And I am from Pittsburgh. So I say, thumbs up, another Pittsburgh person (laughs) that has an episode that comes out at the same time. And then, of course, you go on to talk about your career in the news industry. And I think, wow, if she graduated from CMU, I wonder if she was working for one of the local stations that I grew up watching. Sure enough, KDKA, of course, is is where you're at, which of course then I'll click. I'm like, that's how I know the name Sunny Abada. I've seen her on TV many times when I'm at home visiting my parents and my family. So I figured I would reach out and especially what you're doing in the area of motherhood and overall talks and your podcast, et cetera, et cetera. It fits very well with what we talk about on the show uh, around parenting. So with that, do you want to go ahead and take it away and give us a little bit more about your background? Oh, goodness. First of all, shout out to all of our fellow 412 friends. I'm in Florida now, but I'm always a Pittsburgher at heart. So I just genuinely think that they're like the best people in the world. Like you don't get any nicer. And I feel bad saying this because there's the rest of the country out there, but truly you don't get any nicer and more salt of the earth than a Pittsburgher. So I love that connection. I'll kind of take you from present day back a little bit. Currently, I'm hosting my own live weekly digital talk show slash podcast. It's called We Gotta Talk. And it's real talk on big topics. We get uncomfortable. We talk about um, relationship issues, health issues. Today, we talked about politics and what it's like to be in a relationship or friendship with someone who doesn't agree with you politically. We dig deep. It's an issues-based show where we talk things through. Um, The essence of who I am as a person is a communicator and understander. I'm a true Libra at heart. I love understanding both sides of any given issue. And I genuinely, genuinely believe that we are all better when we share our stories and we share our experiences. And I, gosh, more than ever think that our world is in need of some empathy right now. So that's kind of what drives me right now. I also do some blogging on my site, sunnyabata.com, where all of these issues come into play. I always do recaps of all the guests that we had on. We just did one with a medium last week where we talked about clearing out negative energy, connecting with deceased loved ones. So we get very woo-woo. We did an episode on preventing cancer. We did an episode on pornography addiction and how it's ruining our kids and our relationships. We did one on infidelity. We did one on mom friendships. Anyway, all that stuff I blog there daily. So I take all that juicy stuff I get on the show. And I always kind of condense it onto my blog. I also talk about beauty products because I'm a total beauty product freak. That's like my weekly deal right now. I maintain the site. I do my show. My past, as you mentioned, was in television journalism. I was an anchor and reporter for 15 years. And I worked both in Pittsburgh and here in Orlando, most recently as the main anchor at the Fox affiliate here in town. I did the five, six and 10 PM shows. So that was really fun. And I left four years ago this month and there was a host of reasons why, but it's just really hard to work a night shift when you have two kids. We got unexpectedly pregnant with our third. And so it was time to pull the plug on that chapter. And this blogging and the podcasting and the talk show has really allowed me to continue to do what I love, which is connecting people with good information. And so here I am. I'll ask the question. I'm sure you get all the time comparing what is quote a more traditional news outlet to something like podcasting where just like your show does, you go into very specific issues and can have a long conversation from your perspective. What is the good and bad for each medium? I love what I do now. I get asked all the time if I miss my job and the short answer is no and unequivocally no, but I, oh, I do miss the essence of that job, which was interviewing and talking. 
when I was working at, at the Fox station here, we had moved away from a traditional broadcast where you're only reading the words in the box, right? We had a lot of unscripted interviews. We had a lot of longer format stuff. And that really ignited in me a true passion for interviewing people and giving more time to a subject than the traditional 15 to 30 seconds you get for a voiceover in an evening newscast. So I'm really grateful that we, we were kind of coming at it from a different perspective and that that is the essence of the work that I love and do now. So, I mean, if I had to pick, I just, what I do now is just truly speaks to me. The downside, as you know, is that it's a completely saturated market. You have to find a way to, to get through. In this world, the challenge, as you know, is, is distribution and impact and how quickly you can get out. And it's tied into so many things that make it frustrating and difficult, like social media and trying to make it work because I believe so much in the good stuff, the good information that we put out there that truly doing this doesn't even feel like work. I'm with you on the <laughs> low barrier to entry can be a good thing and also a bad thing as well. And of course, I'm sure we could spend our whole time <laughs> talking shop in this particular realm, but let's jump over to the matter at hand. So you already mentioned a transition. And of course, I'm sure there were many factors that went into that, but can you highlight some of where your decision process led you as far as well, shifting to, to all the different things that you have your hand in now. The short version of, of why I left TV is uh, I was really tired and unhealthy and I my relationships were suffering. And that goes from friendships through to my marriage. I never saw my husband. It's a bummer when your schedule is completely opposite of your partner's, especially when you raise kids. Uh, you miss out on little things in life. And I, I just didn't I was fortunate enough, I have to acknowledge this, fortunate enough to be able to step away for a bit while he took over in that side of things because I was ready to be around for things that I had missed. That is going to sound like a knock. And I know people are going to be out there who are full-time working moms who are going to just want to crap on me and be like, you know, must be nice. Listen, I, I worked full-time through having two young children and completely understand. I acknowledge the fortunate position I was in to be able to take some time away. Full-time working moms are the ultimate superhuman because it is so difficult to be everything to your family and to be everything to your employer. There's a bigger conversation to be had here, but I think we have a long way to go in making our workplaces more adaptable and more helpful toward working mothers in particular. I know this, some people like to make this like sort of a discussion about equality in the workplace for parenting. And I do think parental leave is great in general for, for either parent in the case of a relationship of a man and woman, I think it's great that the guy gets time off too. And I think that's necessary. However, when you're biologically the person who is going through the physical changes, the hormonal changes, the emotional changes, it is a, such a massive, massive undertaking to take all that you've gone through in nine months to shove you back into a workplace and say, okay, now go do that too. Every single working mom I know has a story about the crazy places she had to pump workplaces, not equipped whatsoever to have places for women to make food for their babies to survive. And this isn't a frivolous thing. You know, this is how babies live and exist is through either formula or through being breastfed. And I was just really shocked at how difficult it is. It remains for so many moms to this day to be a great mom and still stay working. So I kind of always have to put that big asterisk and acknowledge that I was lucky to be able to step away, but also say, just hats off to every mom who makes it work part-time or full-time because there is no preparing you for the amount of work that you have to do on both of those arenas. And I just really like to stress that you can't do it all and you can't have it all 
all at once. And I really like always tell moms that because there's a pressure, an unspoken pressure to be at the top of your game in every single way. And you shouldn't, and we shouldn't have to. So give yourself grace. And if it has to be in a small way with letting your house be messy for a while, so you can run back to work, whatever it is, you have to find ways to give grace and, and permission to yourself to kind of step back because it's really, really difficult. And I've been on both sides of it now. To It's really difficult to do both, but it's especially difficult to need to go back to work and still be a fully functioning human at home too. I personally found it to be impossible, which is why I took that step back. Point well taken that everybody has their own unique situation. In fact, I think the first time on the show that the concept of work-life balance and having a boundary for yourself was in our first single parenting, single mom episode. And it was definitely something to be acknowledged for single parents that they have that struggle and need a support system if it's not necessarily their immediate family and so on and so forth. And uh, again, that's why I think it's important to call it out as a specific focus uh, in a particular episode. And something else, of course, is financial means. Uh, Everybody does not necessarily find themselves in the same position. So some people may have to have both parents working and they've got to find other things that are going on. So certainly acknowledging that I have to share one other qu- quick story uh, that I fell into the company I was working for when I had our, we had our first actually allowed you to bring your baby into work with you for the first eight months. Uh, and so literally he's in a little <laughs> pack and play next to me because, and I joke and say, I, I'm cheap. So I really did it for, Hey, no daycare costs, you know, for this amount of time. Luckily for me, I fell into the bonding time and the rest of what was available, but it was a crazy program. And I just dumb luck that I happened to be with a company that had a program like that, that allowed that kind of flexibility. And also to your point about, the moms, they actually had separate rooms and so on, would even relocate uh, the moms that would bring their kids in. So they had a completely separate space. So they were really, really great about it. But it is definitely a, a thing. Yeah, it's really shocking to me that, you know, people are the first to judge a woman's parenting or the behavior of her kids, but completely fail to take into account the the, co- the combination of factors that go into raising a child well. So many people do have to be dual income households. And yet, there are no uh, freedoms within their work structure like you fortunately had to allow them to have flexible work hours or the option to take more time if medically necessary. It's like, okay, you go be this, you need to do this, you need to make money, but I'm gonna, we're going to make it as hard as possible. And then we're going to criticize you for not being the perfect parent, for not looking great and bouncing back after your baby. I mean, I could really go on a rant about this, but it's difficult to fully grasp until you go through the experience of, of, of giving birth to a human. And then you come to understand how many people you have to be to everybody all at once. And that's just not even taking into account who you want to be for yourself and, and finding that grounding that you need. I mean, postpartum mental health issues are a huge thing that so many people deal with, even if it's something as slight as just not recognizing who you are anymore when you look in the mirror. I mean, there's always some sort of friction or disparity there, right? We've gone through a huge change. So there's physical stuff and there's there's expectations at work. For the most part, I was lucky to have good People that I worked with, my boss in particular, was great about letting me have time to do what I need to do to pump or to take time away. When you're working in news and you're covering stuff, like we were working on a uh, covering a trial 
called wall-to-wall coverage, right? Where there's like no commercials or very limited commercials. So we were on for stretches of eight hours at a time. Now, traditionally a newscast is a half hour to an hour. Well, we were doing wall-to-wall coverage. I had to take myself out of this coverage if it was a trial. I think it was the Casey Anthony trial to pump. And my boss was great, but there was one person in particular that I worked with that made these snide comments about, well, it must be nice to take a break. I was like, listen, buddy, First of all, I will fight you on this. Like, don't even start with, you think I want to have rock hard boob that I need to like literally step away and pump or they'll explode. No, this is not comfortable for me right now. It's not where I want to be. So, um, you know, but just that that mentality existed in the 2000s was just mind boggling to me. And now that I think about it, I really could have made a stink and I could have reported that comment and I could have, but and I probably should have, but I was so busy existing and surviving. I was busy keeping my baby fed and healthy and happy and busy trying to be a responsible employee and look nice on TV because you're in, working in TV and you're on camera. So that I didn't even really think about it. But I look back on that now and I'm like, God, that just really gets my goat. Not to be overly soapboxy, but I do think it's time we really step back and recognize what working moms are going through because we can only change and make things better if you've been through it or you're right next to someone who's been through it. So people who witness their partners going back to work, you know, it's going to take the men in these conversations to make these situations better, right? It's going to take more than the mom speaking up. We've been saying for the longest time how hard it is to do this, right? And in a wonderful way, most moms love the work of it. But it's going to take other people like you were in the fortunate position of understanding what a crazy job it is, right? To have a baby with you all day. It takes the participation from other parties to really move the needle. So I'm just so hopeful that things like this, like discussions about it and sharing of stories and experiences can really compel some meaningful change because we're not going to get any better until we hear more of this. Do you think the corporate world's gotten any better from your experiences and just based on what you hear? I think some companies are really great. I think some have work to do. And I think it has a lot to do with mindset and hearing people when they tell you their reality. This can be translated to so many different conversations. It can be translated to discussions on race relations. It can be translated to discussions on gender relations and equity and equality. We need to listen to people when they tell us that things are hard, right? Because if you're not in a position where you've experienced this, we make it look easy. Women are amazing. People would watch me, I'm sure, on TV and think, oh, that lady's got her stuff together. I did not have it together. I was crazy. And just because people aren't always blowing the horn or tooting, the, you know, w- waving their flag doesn't mean that it's not hard. So I think it starts with listening to people when they tell you what their reality is. And then maybe getting people into positions of power that can help affect change. But it, it does start with listening and, and believing people when they tell you what their reality is. Something that I call out all the time with quarantine and most people working from home, I'm on Zoom quite a bit during the day and everybody just naturally says, oh, sorry, my kid. And I'm like, we're we're all doing the same thing right now. <laughs> you don't need to be sorry. Actually, it, have them make a little cameo on your uh, webcam. You know what? It'll, it'll break up some of the <laughs> monotony of the meetings that we have going on. So I, I like to think hopefully that I embrace it and hopefully other people are as well. Other, one other question. Do you think it's better or worse from industry to industry? And the reason I ask is because when I think of my individual experiences in the healthcare world, maybe I'm just completely oblivious to it, uh, but I don't 
have as many uh, instances that come to mind for me to say, yes, here was an instance where somebody was absolutely out of line and they weren't listening. I want to go back and state that overall, my managerial feedback was great. So it was never an issue with the bosses or the people running. At least when I was there, it was people who were kind of like more on my level that just had crappy things to say. I would hope that it's better in other areas. So I don't want to make it sound like it was so, so bad. I mean, they created space for us to pump. They let me go home when I needed to, to be with my baby. There are some very physical things when you're nursing a baby and they go to bed, you can only get them to sleep, right? Because we had dinner breaks instead of lunch breaks. So I would go home for dinner, which was me putting the baby to sleep. And so they were really, 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 really flexible and great with me. There was the exception were the crappy comments from a small, small group of people. I would hope that it's better. From what I hear, there are fields like the technology field like Silicon Valley seems to be super progressive in the way they treat their employees, but that's just me reading stuff online. I would hope that more, you know, fields catch up, I I guess, you know, and I try to understand this from the other perspective too. And being married to someone who helps me understand like the small business side of things, I understand that it's fiscally disruptive, right? To lose an employee for a period of time and not know if they're going to come back. I understand that it's difficult to have, let's say half of your workforce potentially having babies over a period of 10 years and not knowing if you, I understand that. But what I can tell you as a woman who was loyal to a company that was good to her is if you treat her well and she is inclined to come back, she will love you even more. So the, the, the incentive is there, right? Be good to these people. I went back to work because my overall, my boss and team made it easy for me and I was loyal to them. I busted my butt for them. I can see it from both perspectives, right? Like I can see why companies are hesitant to enact some of these changes or make things more flexible because they see it as losing an employee potentially. But from our perspective, having been through the process, you're going to gain a much more loyal employee if she stays. So why not try? Why not work with her? Why not have that conversation before she leaves for maternity and say, listen, you know, I don't know where your head is at. I know it could change because that happens. But if you come back, here's what we're prepared to do. I just want you to know you're a valued member of the team. I would get the chills and be like, oh my gosh, this is the most amazing place from employment ever. Like it takes so little, right? I, I don't know why that's not part of the conversation. Like you, I don't have enough insight from industry to industry to company to company, of course, to know what all go into those decisions. But what strikes me, going back to the first consideration you mentioned of relationships affecting friends and of course, in my opinion, even worse, your family relationships. I constantly use that cliche phrase. Nobody ever said on their deathbed, I wish I spent more time at work, right? And so why in the world would you sacrifice your family and those relationships for the work world? And hopefully to your point, the corporate world catches up in some way and does that. I'll take it even a step further where, yes, I agree with you. I think it would be nice to have a more human touch corporately. However, I get kind of weirded out with the companies that refer to the work people as family or give nicknames. And I'm like, like for example, right now they're trying to do different get togethers or virtual happy hours and stuff like that. And I'm like, no, I want, I want to go spend time with my family. If you want to get an extra benefit, please let me just sign off and go hang out with them. So again, I am absolutely with you and can't preach enough for people to just have checkups with your family, especially your spouse of how things are going. And I also use the phrase a lot, things not being worth it. Something else you were talking about being run ragged. 
talk about health and, and how that has been a consideration for you for going from one thing to another. I was working night shift, so I had weird hours to begin with. And you underestimate the impact that that has on you over time when you're for years going to bed at one o'clock. It changes your health. I just, I, I've been telling the story because it's shocking to me, but I went to a doctor recently. So I've been out of the business for four years now. And I went to the doctor recently and had some like just labs run and hormone panels. And she was like, you know, it's just weird. Your, your, your levels show like someone who's done shift work. Like, did you ever do shift work? And I'm like, yes. Like all I ever did was either early morning or late night. And so you underestimate the toll that that takes on you. I think we underestimate our exhaustion because we live in a society that understandably values the hustle. And, and I, I'm a big, like I loved work. I love work. I still love working, even though it's a different form. So I get wanting to push yourself, but um, I think there's value in listening to what your body is telling you. And for a long time, I was just strangely fatigued and you ignore it because you have to for a while, but it was something that I felt was time to like kind of get a hold on. A couple other quick anecdotes from my perspective of learning through uh, looking at other people's situations. I had two bosses in pretty quick succession that they both made these flippant joke comments about how they had postponed a doctor's appointment like three and four times. And within, in both cases, they were looking for a new job within six months because it just put them over the edge. <laughs> so again, at least I could use what I was observing as a litmus test for myself to say, yeah, again, another talk about not worth it. No one is going to tell you what your limit is. You know your limit. And we're encouraged to push it all the time. And I think, like I said, I think there's value in determination and, and perseverance, but maybe too much, right? In our society where we, we start to ignore that intuition. I did this blog post a long time ago, kind of when I first left, I think within the first year, I just had gone a long time ignoring my intuition. I I knew for a while before I actually left that it was time to leave. And I tried to pull the plug and I went through the process and I ended up going back. It's a kind of a longer story, but I ignored that for so long. So I always try to tell, especially women, because we tend to be a little more in touch with that, with that side of our feelings. Don't ignore that, you know, like make that a priority to listen to yourself because no one knows your limit except you. If you don't enforce that for yourself, then no one is going to do it for you. And you have family that you want to be healthy and present for, or people that you love otherwise. So you, you have to address those things because your boss is going to be grateful to have you as long as you'll stay. How old were your two kids? And it sounds like another factor was the third being on the way that <laughs> maybe was the very glaring sign that it might be time to pull the trigger. But how old were the first two? Just so we have a sense there. My son was three and a half. My daughter was one and a half and we were unexpectedly pregnant with our third. So they were, was she, no, she was almost two. She was about, she was actually about two. So three and a half, two. And then this, our, the little one that just crashed the party was on the way unexpectedly. I mean, I always say God whispers and then he screams and she was my scream. <laughs> she was like him being like, okay, it's time to step away. I had gotten so many whispers, that intuition that I was just talking about, health issues, not having friends and issues with the relationship. And those were all my whispers, whispers. And then it was like, okay, 
we're just going to do this and we're going to show you that you need time away. And so I finally listened. Somewhat related to that, another topic that, who knows, I may dedicate a complete show to at some point, but the decision of daycare versus parenting at home versus for people that have means, let's say having uh, even a nanny that comes in, where did you fall in that? consideration and how has that maybe shifted even as well? I'll start by saying kids raised anyway with love all turn out great. So I don't espouse anything for anybody else. I don't think one is better than the other. We chose to have in-home care for our kids when I was working full-time. It was really the only and best way to manage with my schedule being nighttime. It's not like daycares are open until midnight. So it just worked out best for us. It was it allowed us to keep our kids on a schedule. And it allowed them to be around when I had that limited time in the evening with them and for me to put them to bed. So we went with that option. And I'm never ashamed to say I needed help. I still have help. My babysitter is my lifeline. And why why we tell moms that they have to do it all is beyond me. I'm not ashamed to say I have help. And we prioritize it. It's, It's a monthly thing in our budget. And I know that X number of days a week, if I need to do interviews for my podcast and show and and dedicate time to finding a way to having meetings so that I can make money. And then we do it. There was a time when we didn't have any help after I left and that was fine too. And it was totally crazy making. It was super hard. The kids are fine no matter what, right? Uh, They just, as long as they're in a place where they get the love and the attention they need, I feel like, you know, no one should be shamed for their decision on what they perceive to be the best way to raise their kids, right? I think there are some parents who who prefer to be home 24-7, and there are some like me that like a moment away to work. Or I always joke, I get a sitter so I can go to the doctor appointments. I mean, like, it's not like sexy stuff I'm doing when I'm working 90% of the time. I'm like going to the grocery store, or I'm, but I need that. You know, I need to not tote around a child sometimes. So that's where we landed. And it's been great. She's like a part of our family and we're just so grateful for her. This goes back to what we were saying uh, about single parents uh, with absolutely the caveat that um, everybody's got their own situation. To your point, no need for judgment of where people choose and you know what means may be available. Speaking for myself, I have to admit, I just assumed daycare was a foregone conclusion really for no other reason than I work full time and have the things that I do. My wife is a physician, so certainly she wasn't going to drop what she was doing. And so it just was part of the plan. Honestly, I didn't really think about it much further than that. And then at some point into that journey, I started reading different articles and, and so on. And I think what you're alluding to, just like anything, right? You can Google whatever you want and either have something contradict what you've done or you can affirm what you've done. And of course, that definitely hits this world as well. But I I did go down the rabbit hole for quite some time about how much time and what's a good balance, having somebody in home if you're able to do that, et cetera, et cetera. So I'll admit I kind of beat myself up for quite a while in that area. So that's why I'm curious how people end up balancing it. I think you just can't do that to yourself. 
and talk to as many people as you need to release that burden of guilt. Or I'm a huge advocate of therapy. Like when I was feeling mom guilt about things, it, it was calling friends and talking. I promise you someone has felt what you felt is what I always tell other moms or other people. So let it out. Like it's okay to feel guilty. It's okay. I've made bad decisions for my kids before. And then I just go and change it. Or I've, I've made decisions that I thought maybe for a second were bad. And it turns out, you know, they're actually okay. I look at the way other people raise their children. And I think, gosh, if I'd only done this, maybe they wouldn't be so addicted to their iPads or I don't know, just that's an example, but no one is going to do it like you're going to do it. And that's okay. And you need to embrace who you are. Listen to your gut feelings and pivot. Listen, nothing is forever. Like you said, you went in, you did a little reading, something stirred in you that you thought you needed to make a change. You talk to your partner. Do we need to make a change? Yes, no. And you go. I mean, every minute is a chance to turn it around. So I always say it's just a matter of knowing yourself well, knowing your children well. Kids are so different so, so different, which is a whole other conversation and really doing what's best for your family. And then really trying your best as a parent, not to project that judgment back out into the world. Like I have a lot of faults in the way that I operate. I'm certain, but I try to be, I, I, I'm not a very judgmental, like, Oh my God, I can't believe she did that with her kid's parent because I don't know their situation. Like I, you won't find me like you need to do this and you need to do that. And you're a bad mom because it's just, there's no time and space for that because everybody is so wildly different and every child's needs are so different. One other point going back to everybody's situation and the uniqueness, I will say I have a pretty strong focus on being financially savvy as much as possible. And for anybody that will listen, whether it's on the podcast or even when I'm talking to people one-on-one, again, I go back to that family thing of being, if not your top priority, uh, although for me personally, I can't think of any other, uh, then right up there of, hey, this is why you need to be able to spend appropriately or doing what needs to be done so that if you do need to pivot for the good of your kids or the, for the good of your family, you have the ability to do that. And again, it's harder for some than others, depending on what their means are. But I do think there is some overlap there uh, that can help you uh, relieve some of the guilt potentially and also just have fluidity in that. Actually, as a matter of fact, the reason that comes up is one of my other notes here is for virtual school. My example, I had no intention of putting our now kindergartner into private school here in Virginia. They did shift to all virtual and I just leave it at, I I don't feel like a kindergartner is going to get a whole lot out of watching Zoom. I can barely watch Zoom, uh, you know, for half the day. So um, we were able to pivot to a school and thank goodness we were in a position, financially speaking, to do that. So actually, let's move to that topic a little bit. I know when you shifted the theme of your podcast or the name of the podcast, uh, when I was listening, you talked about <laughs> uh, being all prepared for virtual and then maybe a shift from there. So how are you handling that? Oh gosh, those first three days were just a circus. I will say, so I have a second grader, a kindergartner and a three-year-old. The three-year-old is a wash. We, my husband jokes, it's her endless summer. I'm not sending her back to school because I am a lazy parent and I do not want to drop a three-year-old off at school so she can look at shapes and just play. I'm like, this is great if she were an only child or if I really, she's got ten, literally 10 cousins and we are out all the time. I'm like, this kid, I'm too lazy. Sorry, you'll go back next year. So she's home. But my older two are back in school and virtual was a challenge for the kindergartner. And I will echo what you say, because that's the introduction to school. And it's designed to be a little less work intensive and more creatively focused. And it's all about, I mean, you know, we've all been through kindergarten. It's about being comfortable with, with 
our teacher at school and learning routines and learning. And you can't do that through a computer. So that was really hard. They were, you know, calling for, for activities and tasks that required crafts and things. And I was running back and forth. My second grader, my son just had to, has been doing in person, but just had to do two weeks of virtual. And I will say had was fantastic the second time around. So we've really, like our school is pretty great about the virtual side of things when they have to, you know, when there's a Corona case, they take them out for two weeks, whatever. So they've really like refined their process and his teacher is amazing. So I was really pleasantly surprised to see that even though we had to temporarily do virtual that it went well, but that those first three days were insane. I beat a path between their rooms. It was just like in the carpet. It was just like, mom, I need a pencil. Mom, I need my scissors. It was just like, oh, I need this worksheet. I need this book. My hat goes off to any homeschooling parent who has to be in charge of their child's education because it is a huge task. And thankfully, knock on wood, they are happy at school and we're going to stay there as long as we can. The reason why your story spoke to me is I had a pretty similar story back when everything first started to shut down. Shout out to my mother-in-law because she is the one that volunteered to help at least through the end of what would be the school year. Now, again, both of my kids are pre-K, so there was more flexibility about what they would and wouldn't be doing. But I basically mapped out what their daycare lesson plan was for each day, had that ready even by the hour. This is what we're going to do. Maybe we got to June. I'm probably even being kind saying that to where I'm like, all right, it's summer break now. <laughs> we're, we're not doing this. Right. So we did the whole, you know, second half of the spring semester at home because we never went back after spring break. So we had a traumatic spring semester. And then leading into this year, there was one point last spring where my son and I were working on stuff. And this was before we had, we knew what the world was, what was happening in the world. And we were all like optimistic and maybe this will be a week. And I remember this one day we were sitting on the kitchen Island and we looked at each other and we were just both sobbing. I was like, I'm so sorry. I'm being so mean. And he's like, I'm so sorry. I'm not working hard. It was just like, I was like, it was now that I look at it, it was kind of cute and funny, but we just, we just, we were over it and we can't, we climbed back out of the hole, but man. And, and what, you know, you look at everything we've gone through from that point to here. And it's no wonder we're all losing our marbles right now. I mean, I've been talking on my show and podcast about seeking spiritual advice and, and, and really like tapping into another sort of means to get answers and understanding because we have been put through the ringer in so many ways. I mean, it's like, that was so difficult and I know that everything is, again, big caveat. I know that problems are relative and that, thank God, we had shelter and food. But it was a hard and difficult experience. And I've already forgotten about it because we've had 10 other hard things happen in the meantime with so many things. So it's just like I look back and I think, oh, my God, I remember when that was like the hardest thing. And now so much else has happened to us personally and in this world. It's like amazing how we rebound as humans and just keep going because we have to. Also, similarly with the school story, yeah, one of the things that I was frustrated about was I'd been talking up to my son, you get to ride the big boy bus, right? Well, of course, it seemed like that was going to go out the window. And as luck would have it, the school that we were able to get him into does have a bus. So I'm like, yeah, that's a win. (laughs) You know, we were able to actually get him the experience of the bus. But of course, if you look at the grand scheme, hey, that's small potatoes compared to what other people are dealing with. But it is these daily things that are just continually different, continually grinding that 
yeah, I think we all go, are going a little bit nuts. As a matter of fact, in my day job, people were talking about it and, and saying how they miss their social interaction. I actually volunteered my experience podcasting. Like, you know what? It's actually been a great outlet to talk to people and meet different people uh, so that I'm not continuing to go even more stir crazy. And I think that, that also bring something else that's very prevalent. And again, it's definitely been top of mind for me, which is screen time and tech for kids. I, speaking of being thankful for certain things, I am thankful that my kids are of the age they are now and are not in those teen years where we've already heard plenty of things about screen time and cyberbullying and, and gosh, the list goes on, right? What are your thoughts? What are you hearing around trying to limit that while we're managing quarantine? I know parents who are like, all over the spectrum. I know people who are really rigid and it's like, you know, half hour max. And I know people who are just kind of wild, wild west, whatever you want to do, do. We're kind of in the middle. I'm not overly, my parenting style is not overly strict in regards to technology. We use it on an as needed basis. And that usually boils down to like, well, these days there's very limited because we, we finally got back into activities, but in the summertime, they were on their iPads for a couple of day, hours a day. And I don't really care. And I don't, I'm a, still a great parent, you know, and I don't feel embarrassed to say that people are like, Oh my God, my kid was on the iPad for whatever 45 minutes today. I'm like, mine was on for three and a half hours and he's great. You know what I mean? We're doing all right. As long as you have those little parental control set up, it's not something that I look at and think that it impacts our kids too much one way or another, we've found a way to balance it. So I kind of let myself have the freedom to not be so strict with it because there are other things that I'm very deliberate about with my parenting. But you know, it's different for everybody. I, I will say that it was difficult. I think screen addiction is real and scary. And I think it, it does something in their brains where it activates this immediate, you know, that dopamine hit, that response where they're just flooded with that adrenaline or whatever. It's very real. It scared me. And we started to like pull back after I saw that it was hard for them to get off of their devices. So there's a real element to it. But like I said before, when you notice it, you fix it. I don't feel like we were too far down the road of stuck in their iPads all day. And we tweaked things. We got them in more activities and it's okay again. Be kind to give yourself grace in that way, because we already have so much to worry about with our kids and ourselves that it's hard to hone in on one thing too much. Absolutely there with you. I joke and say my son, it's like he's come off of a like cocaine bender or something when you take the screen away from him. I mean, it does. It really takes a while for him to sort of regulate back. So we, especially with him, we, we try to limit the amount. Now, hey, even bring this back to the Pittsburgh connection. It's about a six hour ride from Richmond to Pittsburgh. So for people that say they even try to limit screen time in that car ride, God bless you for that. Liars, liars, <laughs> All, bets are, they're liars. <laughs> All bets are off, you know, at, at that point, <laughs> as far as just getting through a ride like that. The rules are there are no rules sometimes, you know, in air, airplane trips and long car rides. I mean, I don't care as long as it's like appropriate content. We drove to North Carolina for a trip this summer and I think it was nine hours total and they were on their iPads the entirety of the drive or at least 90% of it. And they're fine. It's all good. It was one day we, you know, what else are they going to do? They're literally sitting in a vehicle, a moving vehicle, and they're not going to read books. I think we always like to be like, you know, when I was little, we had coloring books and we, you know, we used to put a TV with 
bunny ears in our car, which we did. But I mean, that's not the times anymore. Sometimes I feel like Verizon and AT&T should hire me to know exactly where their dead spots are because we've done the trip enough times that I know exactly when we're going to lose service. And if we don't have enough things downloaded (laughs) for them to be able to use, uh, that's sort of the no man's land (laughs) where it gets a little sketchy. Let's turn to the things that you've been working on. Again, we, we've touched on quite a few of them and I would encourage uh, any and everybody to go take a listen uh, to your show uh, for the deep dive topics that you mentioned, especially for parents, especially for uh, people dealing with pandemic issues, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I've definitely enjoyed it. And so do you want to just talk through what was your initial inspiration for the types of topics that you cover and then just where you see the show and blog and everything else going. The inspiration was to to make people better through being a little uncomfortable. I know that the biggest growth often comes from learning about things that we didn't know already. I think there's content and media and podcasts out there that are designed to entertain. There's more informative stuff and there's, you know, I, Along the spectrum of, of what's out there, this is definitely a more deep dive journalistic style issues based podcast. I want people to walk away feeling a little less alone. Doesn't mean that you're going to identify with every episode. Like I, I mentioned this at the beginning, we did an, uh, an episode on pornography addiction, which was inspired by me listening to this teenager's account of the crazy stuff that he was seeing online and how it impacted his ability to have a relationship as a young man. And I was blown away. I mean, so you're not going to relate to everything, but you know, you're going to find something in it that that moves the needle for you. It's interesting because I will put out calls for questions on some of these topics. I. I like infidelity. We did infidelity early on. Not a lot of questions, but it's one of my most listened listen to episodes ever, right? So that tells me that maybe people don't want to talk about stuff or, or, or publicly share it, but they want to know because life, it's more complicated than just um, superficial kind of topics. That's not to say we don't get into a good discussion on a good skin cream or mascara because I am a beauty product addict after all. But it's deep stuff. Like it's, we did a whole episode on mom friends and why it is so hard to find a good mom friend. You have kids, your whole world and perspective changes. And it's really hard sometimes to find women you connect with on that level and on every other level. And we did a hilarious and fun episode on the great things and the hard things about having mom friends. And we shared like some funny stories about, you know, moms being ghosted by other moms after she drank too much at a, you know, at a happy hour get together. I mean, there, there are things that everybody or someone you know can relate to. There's real, to me, there's real value in getting a little uncomfortable. I told you before in, in this episode and before we started recording, today's episode was being in an um, opposite political relationship, you know, political party relationship. And that's so true for so many people. How many people do we have right now that don't identify with us politically or at least what party we have to choose to be in because it's a two-party system right now? But everybody's in that situation. I promise you every per- single person out there has had friction in one of their relationships, whether it's a marriage or a boyfriend-girlfriend or girlfriend-girlfriend or boyfriend-boyfriend, whatever situation, where they don't agree or even a friend with what their loved ones think. And so we talked today about, uh, you know, this is kind of a difficult one to get at because these days you can't really say too much about politics without being just totally pushed around. But I shared my experience and why I believe there's value in in surrounding yourself or, or seeking out different opinions. So it's uncomfortable stuff, but it's juicy and it's good. And you're going to hear from experts and you're going to hear from people who 
who are experts in their field about this kind of stuff or someone who has a personal story to share that has value. I'm just so driven by sharing good information. I could do 10 interviews a day and not get tired of it. So it's been so fun to rebrand. It used to be 30 something and now it's called We Gotta Talk because that embodies everything, how I approach life. I want to talk. I want to know you. I want to know why you why you are the way you are. And I want you to share your best tips and tricks and, and stories and anecdotes and like, let's get better together. So we got to talk. So that's why the whole rebrand happened. And I'm just really, really excited with where it's going. For context for folks, we are recording this the day after, well, I guess I can't call it election day because <laughs> Technically, nobody's been elected yet. So hopefully when this gets published, God willing, there will be a decision that's made and we can, I don't even want to say get past this because that seems like a little bit of a pipe dream. (laughs) But anyway, your episode definitely will be poignant uh, because I feel like if you weren't having uncomfortable political conversations within your family before 2020. Gosh, I don't know how you're not, which again, it goes back to the pandemic, right? Like if you could say, oh, that's affecting something else over there. Well, this has affected everybody and it is the thing that you're going to talk about. We need to find ways to operate with people that don't agree with us. And I just feel like before we end up in a place where we're over here and over there and there's no middle, we th- this needs to happen. Discourse, civil discourse, being okay saying, I'm okay with you where you are. I said this in the podcast, there are some black and white issues that I do think are right or wrong. And there are plenty of things that have happened in this election that can strike that chord. But for the most part, it's my belief that a lot of people want to find a place to meet, want to find a place to meet in the middle, and they want to feel a little less alone. So I, I'm hoping that kind of gives people the freedom to embrace that and, and know that just because you're the person important to you doesn't agree with you does not mean they're a bad person. Like this is real life. We got to be around people who aren't just like us. Again, speaks to why these deep dive conversations are really becoming more important from where I stand so that you can hear what other people's experiences are, why they may differ from your own. And you may not move the needle on what your perspective is, but hopefully it gives you a little bit more insight into where somebody else might be coming from. Hopefully that'll help you grow as a person and it'll help them grow as a person. Well, Sonny, I really appreciate you taking the time to be on the show with me today. Before I let you go, do you want to go ahead and give folks your contact information, where they can find you on social media? And then if you have any either events, promotions, things like that, that you want to let folks know about? Yeah. So you can check out um, my show on Facebook. It's live and YouTube live every Wednesday at 10 a.m. Eastern. It's just facebook.com slash we gotta talk we gotta talk.com is the show site if you want all the juicy articles i'm in the process of merging sunny abata and we gotta talk right now but i'm in the technical stage of that so all of my writing all of the breakdown of the guests that i interview really well put together and sort of expert vetted articles are all on sunnyabata.com. my blog is where all the writing goes my tv show and talk show is where all the talking goes on and you can also get the podcast every thursday we are dropping this episode early because of election day, because it will the conversation is more immediately relevant. But every Thursday, new episodes come out. It's called We Gotta Talk with Sunny. And it's on every place where you can get podcasts. And email me. I mean, all the links. Oh, Instagram, I'm Sunny Abada. Website, Sunny Abada. I'm all there. So send me a DM. I'm pretty responsive on Instagram if my message doesn't get caught in my filter. Perfect. And of course, I'll put your information into the show notes to make it easy for folks to get a hold of you. Again, I appreciate you coming on the show and we'll be in touch. Thanks, Greg. I really appreciate the opportunity. Have a great day. 
If you enjoyed this episode, please consider giving us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. You can also subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or all other major podcasting applications to be notified of our latest episode. You can also join our conversation at suburbanfolk.com or any social media site, including Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at the handle Suburban Folk. Thanks for listening.